0: Well, 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 looks like someone finally got back to recording their podcast, huh? Sure has been long enough, waiting, wait, wait, um, I'm talking about me, I just realized. Why am, why am I speaking of myself in such an admonishing way? Um, Not very becoming, not a great way to start a new episode, but it is true, it's been a while, and I'll explain why in a little bit, Uh, but let's just get right down to it. Hit my music! Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, people and puppets of all shapes, sizes, and colors, welcome to the Wally Wackaman Pupcast! And now, here's your host, Wally Wackaman! Alright, let's get right down to business. It's a new episode of the Pubcast. second episode. Got some uh, exciting stuff coming our way. First, let's just, you know, recap a little bit. It's, uh, it's been a while. It's a new year. What's what's happened lately? Um, Well, David Bowie passed away, quite sadly, amongst a whole slew of others at the beginning of the year. Just right off, just, yeah, just knocking them all off. Oh, boy. Rough, rough stuff. Of course, I like Bowie from Labyrinth. It's his puppet world connection. And then, you know, not soon after, a reboot was leaked. And then they said, no, it's not a reboot. Don't panic. But honestly, I mean, Labyrinth should just kind of stay Labyrinth, right? You know, there have been little books and comics and games and things. And that's fine to to keep the world, you know, thriving in that way. But another movie, well, where are they going to go? They're going to redo the storyline with some other girl coming into womanhood? Are they going to have Toby doing the same journey over again? I mean, you don't even have Bowie to reprise his role, so what's the point anyways? I don't know. Yeah, but, uh, so 2016, new year, new start. And for me, start to hopefully a, a more packed year of episodes of the Pupcast. It's been a while because, uh, a little more difficult aligning, trying to get... A, a time and place to get the right guests at the right time where, you know, schedules align. It it sometimes happens. Humans have busy lives. Me, I sit in a bag all the time. But of course, I rely on a human to align his schedule with, with the other people in the puppetry world. And uh, that's where it's at. But, but the stars have aligned. And uh, so, get ready for this. We've got someone who, for the for puppetry people doesn't really need any introduction but I'll give him one anyways for those who don't know even if you don't know him by name you might recognize his voice he's done a whole lot of things that you probably grew up with yeah, super talented super nice guy very funny and uh, it's my pleasure to introduce Noel MacNeil Hi Noel how are you Hello Ollie. how you doing I'm good great to talk to you uh this is this is you know this is a real get for this show first guest and uh very happy to have you on Thank you. Last time I saw you was in Texas. about yeah, that's two, right. three years ago. Something like that. Yeah, the puppetry workshop. Uh, a lot of fun, and uh, we'll we'll touch on that. Uh, but first off, I want to start this interview as I do with all of my guest interviews, which is appropriate, being that you are the first. Oh, uh, so we setting a trend. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, what is your first memory of of an encounter with one of my kind? When when you like met a puppet in person, not just on a screen. Not on TV or movie, because a lot of people would probably have the same answer. Oh, I was watching Sesame Street, or I was watching The Muppets on uh, this or that. But uh, do you remember how far back when you first actually encountered one of us in reality?
1: Well, being older than uh, most of your next guests, I remember a time when there wasn't a Sesame Street. So I could actually answer this question. I grew up in um, New York City, and there were different public places you could actually Go to. I never got a chance to go to Bill Baird's, but I did go to this one place. It was called the uh, Swedish Cottage, and it was in um, Central Park. And I went to that. But I think, like when I was really little, like the first puppet encounter that I had was at FAO Swartz. Oh,
0: was that,
1: that famous toy store. Sure. And uh, it was on Fifth Avenue and um, 58th Street, in this older building. And I was walking through there with with my mom and somebody was demonstrating stuff and there was this caterpillar, this very big caterpillar whose eyes could blink and whose head could turn and whose um, little hands could shake your hands and I loved seeing that and my mom saw that I loved it so much and got to take that caterpillar home and play with it and then from there, started noticing that there were puppets on TV, on shows like, you know, Captain Kangaroo and Sherry Lewis and uh, Mr. Rogers. And then, of course, that other show that came along, you know, <laughs> Right, right. Like Happiness Boulevard. So, but <laughs> for the first time was, I guess, F.A.O. Sports was that caterpillar puppet.
0: Oh, that's, that's interesting. Too bad now I know that uh, that recently uh, closed down for good, it seems.
1: Uh, Yes, it was originally on uh, 58th Street, 5th Avenue, in this older building where I believe it's a Bonwick Teller for Men is there now, and then he moved across the street to the GM building, which stands for General Motors, and they were there until they recently uh, closed.
0: Right, yeah, Yeah. it was was a real landmark for a good long time there. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, speaking of your childhood, uh, if you'll indulge me, I'd like to do an impression of a famous German man. And when I ask you to tell me about your mother,
1: (laughs) okay.
0: from what I understand, uh, she was uh, a monumental influence in your life, if not the greatest influence in your life. And just uh, give us all a little background of how she helped shape you to be the person you are today.
1: Uh, My mom was uh, Edna McNeil. Uh, She was a uh, single mom after my uh, father left us when I was 18 months old. And so she raised me and took care of her mother and her uh, father's brother, her uncle. So while she was at work, they were pretty much at home helping raise me. And she always told me, don't get a job, get a career. And during my time in high school, that's when the Muppet Show appeared. Up until then I've been watching Sesame Street and specials like the Town Musicians and the Frog Prince and A Cinderella, and any appearances the Muppets would do on um, primetime specials like with Julie Andrews or with the, the Electric Company. It was actually Sesame Street Electric Company did like a primetime special at night. And um, when it was time to pick a college, I did research the old fashioned way. I went to the library. It's awesome. It's like Barnes & Noble, but it's free. And did all my research and found two colleges. One in Stores, Connecticut, which to this day, UConn, Christ. still has a four-year puppetry program where you can get your master's degree in puppetry. And the other was back then at Pratt Institute in Brooklyn, New York. And there was a theater department. And within the theater department was a puppetry course taught by uh, designer Kermit Love who was designer for ballets by Balanchine and Twyla Tharp and Jerome Robbins. And he adapted that for full-body puppets for um, Jim Henson. So he created Fig and Thog, the monsters from The Muppet Show and the specials, and then eventually created Big Bird and Snuffy. And no, the frog is not named after him. It's just a weird coincidence. So I had these two things set up, and I was ready to present them to my mom and said, okay, I know what I want to be. I want to be a puppeteer and just kind of stepped back I waited for the aftershock. And she looked at me and said, okay, what do we have to do? And I said, well, here's Pratt Institute and here is UConn and Stores Connecticut. Okay, what do we have to do? And I said, well, this is due by this date. This is due by this date okay, what do we have to do? That's all she kept saying. She never once belittled me, never discouraged me, never said, okay, but have a backup plan. No, this is what I wanted to do. And so she was extraordinary and helping me become uh, a puppeteer. And any accomplishment I did, I always go back to how proud she would be of me. In fact, my, my last accomplishment... As of this recording, was I was uh, one of the puppeteers on NBC's *The Wiz* live, right, she, right, along with Paul McGinnis, and she would have been so proud of me to be on this production with the caliber of these people who she knew and res- respected, and she would have been so proud of that that the fact that I was you know of African American descent and on this production with these other credible Black performers and. She will love that. So, yes, she was pretty much like the driving force. And then after that, I got to meet uh, my other inspiration, Jim Henson. It's Sesame Street and actually worked with Jim and Frank and Jerry and those guys. And then uh, the current uh, person who has always got my back is my wife, who is author Susan Elia McNeil. Of the Maggie Hope mysteries available on Amazon.com. Yes, that's a shameless plug.
0: No, hey, we're we're, we're all about the plugs here. We'll get we'll get plenty of plugs <laughs> in, this, in this. Good. So, uh, yes,
1: yeah, So, my mom was always very proud of everything I did from the time I worked on Sesame Street all the way to doing uh, Bear. In fact, I brought her up when we were shooting the first Sesame Street movie. Sesame Street presents Follow That Bird and she's actually an extra in the background oh. if you watch the movie.
0: Oh, fun trivia.
1: There's two, there's two scenes. One is when they're just leaving, and the cars are lined up, and this is wide shot, and the cars are pulling out of Sesame Street, and she's to the left by Oscar's tra- trash can by a mailbox. She's got this gray shirt on and a black vest, and she's waving and she kept blowing kisses and yelling, "Fine, Big Bird. And then at the end, she's back again. Along with me, because at the end, uh, when Big Bird comes back, for those of you unaware of this, Big Bird uh, gets convinced that he needs to be with his own kind by this uh, bird social worker who takes him to Ocean View, Illinois, to his new family, the Dodo's. When it doesn't work out, Big Bird decides to walk back to Sesame Street, and everybody's trying to find him, including uh, the social worker. So when they come back to Sesame Street, Miss Finch, the social worker, catches up and says he needs to be with his own kind. Mm And Maria says, "But he has all kinds. he has all kinds of individuals here who, who love him, like people and monsters and birds. and. Sure. That's when they do a, uh, a pad, a 360 pad, to show all the people, uh, characters on Sesame Street that are there for Big Bird, the people well, in the
0: neighborhood.: Yes.
1: Well, unfortunately, they didn't hire enough extras for this to make it really crowded to show how many you know, people live on the street. And so they asked everybody who wasn't doing anything to just stand in the shot. So it's actually this great shot that's now like a tribute to pretty much everybody who worked on the movie. So it's such a, a gag for whenever I hear Maria say, we have all kinds. We have, we have people, we have monsters, and I start going in, yes, and we have moms, and we have spouses. There's Carol Spinney's wife, there's Wranglers, there's me, there's Mother Wrangler, Richard Sherman. there's the camera crew, there's the production staff there's the carpenters there's the prop department
0: <laughs> well, It's really, really really all these something. people
1: we just got to just stand there <laughs> all the unsung heroes yeah they're just like and come around so it's like yes yeah, so those are the people <laughs> That's what she, so it's this weird little shot and then they just came they just re-released the uh i believe it was like the 25th anniversary which was uh six years ago and there's a. Uh, the new DVD now has a, a, the widescreen version. Right, it
0: wasn't on widescreen for a it while. It wasn't on, Now it is on widescreen. Yeah, so anyone who hasn't seen it should really check it out. If you're uh, you know, young enough to not remember it, you uh, should. The first Sesame movie focuses on a great story of Big Bird, and uh, definitely definitely look into it if you haven't already.
1: Yes, and it was actually featured last uh, uh, summer at the uh, Museum of the Moving Image. Oh, yeah, they're great. I've
0: been there. Uh, they, they've been doing plenty of stuff, and they got that upcoming new uh, permanent e- exhibit uh, on Muppets and Henson. And that's yes, very and, exciting.
1: And, and, they, and they featured it there. And uh, Emilio Delgado, Blaise Weiss, he was the featured guest, and they actually showed it on the screen. I hadn't seen it on an actual movie screen in 30 years. And so I actually took my son to see it, who's 10, going on 42. And... <laughs> I showed it to him when he was younger, but he had no memory of it whatsoever, so it was nice. So he sat there. And in this day and age of of apps and special effects and video games and all that, it was really gratifying that he sat there and he watched this movie and he loved it. He was rooting for Big Bird, he hated the villains in the movie, Slea's brother, he hated Miss Finch. He was really rooting for it. He loved the movie. He said, Could we see it again? I said, Well, we have it at home. So he really loved the movie. So it's a, kind of, it's a kind of movie that actually holds up. The story was by Tony Gaius and uh, G. Friedberg. Uh, they wrote it, who also writes for Sesame Street. And it really holds up. It's all about, pretty much it's about a family can be made of anybody as long as it's made of people who love you. Absolutely. And, and so that's just the ongoing message of that. Sure. And Greenberg good. always had a family. A good lesson. Yeah, exactly. It's it still holds up.
0: Okay, so um, just getting back to you and how you got started and everything. With that point of advice that your mother gave you about getting a career and not just a job, you know, what 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 steps you know beyond looking into a school did you take where you were able to go? Okay, well, you know, this is not a job anymore. This is a career. I've 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 figured it out. I've got this going. Well, I see my first when I started uh,
1: taking the course at. Uh, Pratt I got to know Kermit and so in between my freshman and my sophomore year, during the summer I got to work at his workshop in East Village and one of the jobs was feathering Big Bird because oh, wow. there was refeathering him in time for the season as well as the Sesame Street live productions that were touring and so you would have to feather Big Birds for that and to do big bird, you have yellow-dyed turkey feathers because turkey feathers, white turkey feathers, are that nice big plumage. And they are dyed yellow. And then you take a steam iron and you very carefully just run the steam iron the tip of it along the spine so that it curls up. And then you pile them up. Then when you're ready, you take a hot glue gun and you very carefully put a little hot glue on the tip of it, and you're wearing these little rubber tips on your fingers, and you just press it against the boned body of Big Bird, and that's one feather, and you do it one at a time, all the way up.
0: And how many are there, approximately? (laughs) Too many. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fair enough answer. Right.
1: During During a summer where there's no air conditioning, it's just too many, so I did that for a couple of summers. And uh, then my first actual puppetry job was uh, going to do a commercial. Kermit's Workshop got this opportunity to do three commercials for Magi Bouillon Cubes, and they made puppets, two sets of puppets, for three commercials. So it was like two foxes, it was two pigs, and I forget. There was two more, and I forget what they were. But what was really cool was that this was my first professional, getting paid puppeteering job alongside builder and puppeteer and one of my good friends, Jim Krupa, who I met at Pratt, and he worked at Kermit Shop. And so we were going to do this commercial together. And what was really nice is that it was going to be in Paris for a week. And so this was my first job. It was also my first time going to Europe, so I had to get a passport. It was also my first time on an airplane, which was quite the experience so I thought this is a nice way to start this whole career thing and then I got to do other puppetry and then after that I got became the wrangler on Sesame Street taking care of Big Bird before I became a puppeteer on the show and so we worked on uh I worked on Sesame Street worked on the uh the special called Don't Eat the Pictures Sesame Street at the Metropolitan Museum of Art which is another really fun special. Oh sure classic. Yes, and that was the same summer that I also got the a, a part of the character Knock Knock on this show that was called The Great Space Coaster. Because John Lovelady, the puppeteer for the character, uh, left to do a character called Mr. Smith. Mr. Smith was a show on NBC that ran for a couple of episodes and was about a talking orangutan that gets voted to Congress. So he no, left. Oh, I
0: never heard of that before.
1: <laughs> yes. It didn't last long. But it was like talking orangutan. He goes to, goes to Congress. And so he left. So I got to do Knock Knock for that uh, one summer. And there were times when I was doing both jobs where in order to do the Sesame Street special, the characters, according to the story, get locked in the Metropolitan Museum overnight. And so there were a lot of scenes where we had to actually shoot at night because of it being so dark. Mm-hmm. So I would go and I would be the wrangler. For, the, for that shoot, and then a couple of hours later, like, get up and then go to uh, shoot the Great Space Coaster, which was, at the time, at the Ed Sullivan Theater, long before David Letterman even showed up. And they did it there. So I remember there were a couple of times where I would just pretty much just shoot Sesame Street, and then just, depending upon the, the schedule, just go straight from the Metropolitan Museum to the Ed Sullivan Theater, and then without any sleep, and just do do what was needed to be done there.
0: <laughs> Great. Okay. And so, after you wrangled for a bit, when did you make the transition to performing on Sesame, and do you remember the first character you, you played? I do.
1: It's actually on YouTube, thanks to everything being uploaded. It's a sure. scene in um, a grocery store, and it's with Grover, one of my favorite characters. And I play a store clerk, who... And Grover is waiting online, and it's all about being first it's all about first and last like Grover's the last person online, and he's waiting so that it can be his turn to pay for his groceries and so he finally gets to be first in line, and my line is "Sorry, this register's closed. use the next register, please thank you and it's on a wide shot and he comes up, it's time for my line, and I completely blow it. Oh, no. <laughs> Just blow it. <laughs> and, even, and Even use an expletive because I couldn't believe it. And Grover responds, it's like, say what? And so everything up until that point was great. So what they did was what's called a pickup. So as soon as my character's about to speak, that's when they cut to a close-up and that's the pickup. So I get a cl- because of this flub, I suddenly get a close up now of my line and then they cut back wide so that you can see Grover's reaction and then going over to the to the next register. So that was my first role. The magic of post production. <laughs> yes. The f- yes, we always fix it in post and that was my uh my first character on Sesame Street. And then from there I did, you know, background grouches and fluttered bats and did a lot of right-handing. I was and, just going
0: to say, right-handing.
1: Yes, and every up a relative you could think of, was Snuffy's mom, Snuffy's dad, Snuffy's grandmother, Snuffy's uncle, Snuffy's mailman, Snuffy's personal trainer, article snuffle a nigger, and got to do uh, Follow That Bird. And on Follow That Bird, one of the first characters you see, well, the very first character you see is Oscar, which is great. It, uh, before the movie starts, you see this huge backdrop of the American flag which is kind of like um, a spoof of Patton, right? up and on, and you see the American flag, and you see Oscar's trash can in front, and the director Ken Quapis. The way it was written, the announcer says, "Would you please rise for the ground's anthem?" And I said to, to Ken, who's a really nice guy, and not much older than than I was. I mean, I turned like twenty one on this shoot. He was like twenty six years old, and so I said to him. And he wasn't really familiar with Sesame Street the way um, everybody else was. (laughs) And so I said to him, the the joke here would be that you know, being a grouch, you wouldn't stand up out of respect for the grouch anthem. You'd stay sitting down. And so he liked that, and he used it. So that's why Oscar, when the announcer says, would you please rise with the grouch anthem, Oscar rises up and says, no, 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 no. For the grouch anthem, you stay sitting down. (laughs) Also (laughs) the fact that being a parent now, is like after having your kids settled, you don't want them suddenly standing <laughs> up in the movie theater and then having them sit down that's a, good, that's a good point. Right. So then and then they they uh they used it. So and then after that, that's when they cut to the uh the board of birds. And the chair bird is a character I got to do this this big pink flamingo type of bird with a turban and uh actually got to do that character and use my voice. And it's funny that uh, people have asked me, say, C- can, can you do the voice? And I was like, actually, I probably can't because the night before, somehow, I, I woke up with the worst head cold I think I've ever had. And so I am completely stopped up and I'm like high on like Dayquil, Nightquil. <laughs> and so I probably couldn't possibly do that voice <laughs> again. But it was great, to, the fact that my character is like one of the first ones and I helped set it up. I also like stood in for Big Bird, so some of the scenes where he's running away from a biplane, that's that's me. Some of them are Carol Spinney, who is the originator of the character. Of course. It's a great documentary of, called I Am Big Bird. Oh, yeah, yeah. That I encourage everybody to go see. Carol truly is one of the nicest, if not the nicest man on the planet, and his wife, Debbie, is... Just a wonderful, wonderful person to know. They're two beautiful people.
0: Oh yeah, I I was at the uh, the Montclair Film Festival where it uh, premiered. I actually, uh, you know, spoke to them. You know, I came up to the stage. They gave me a mic, and uh, there's a picture of me on the Montclair Film Festival website.
1: Hey, there you go.
0: But um, yeah, going back to you. In some of that early work, as, as such a, a young guy amongst some of these uh, heroes of yours, were you ever intimidated? And did it did it ever take a while for you to feel confident to really, you know, be part of the group and feel like I'm 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 as good as this as anybody?
1: <laughs> um, one of uh, one of the puppeteers who I loved and uh, who was a mentor for me, first a tour mentor, was a uh, Richard Hunt who worked on Sesame. Richard was dividing his time between Sesame Street and Fragile Rock. And so Richard would, like, poke fun at me and, you know, jibe and kind of, you know, be sort of like a tormenting big brother in a way. And there was one time when I came over uh, to get the puppet back, from him, I think it was uh Sully because he and Jerry had just done Biff and Sully, and he just he was laying on the on the on the floor because Sesame Street, what normal, normally 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 with sets like the Cow's Castle at Ernie and Bert, the puppeteers get to stand up, but on the actual street, you have to lay down on the floor with oh, I you, at backrests. I
0: thought you said he just threw the puppet on the floor. I was like, what, no, a, no, what no, a disrespect! No, no. Oh, okay, I, oh, no, no, I know what no, you mean, no. I know what you mean, right? No, <laughs> then, then he threw then. I came over, and I
1: reached out. Before I could reach out again, he just, like, threw it at me and said, here. And I just, like, gave him this look, and I just, like, turned and started to walk away. He said, hey, and I turned back. He said, like, if I didn't like you, I'd be nice to you. And I looked <laughs> at him, and I said, well, Richard, you must be – I, I, I just looked at him and said, well, you must f-ing love me, Richard. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when he laughed. And he had this really good – oddest laugh that I heard him do for other people. I and mean, when he did that with me. That's when I knew we were okay. And ever since then, we were we were fine. You know, he would still kid with me, but I knew where it came from, and he really did
0: like me. He seemed to really enjoy throwing puppets around. With that one uh, story about how Elmo, uh, as we know him, came to be. <laughs> Just, oh yeah, he I was them actu- around left and right. I was
1: actually in. I was actually. I'm actually in that story. I actually was there. I actually saw it happen. <laughs> You
0: witnessed history. <laughs> yes,
1: I did. I just like sat there. I was sat there. I was next to Kevin. And the door opened in. Elma at that point was like the most passed around puppet. First, Brian Neal did it. And he did it sort of like this sort of whispery little character. He had to like lean down because he was kind of shy and not kind of whisper. And then Brian Neal left. And that's when Richard took it over. And Richard did the exact opposite. He did this very loud. Sort
0: of birds. like a caveman, right? Yeah.
1: In fact, at the very end of Follow That Bird, when monsters stick their heads out the window, that you will cut away. You see Elmo stick his head out the window. And then you hear him talk, but it's not the Elmo that you know. It's Richard's Elmo. Oh, I didn't know he had a line. And he never got... And he never got... It never got redubbed. So that's... That's Richard's Elmo. And so he really didn't know what else to do with this. It just... He, he just wasn't enjoying it. He just Because there were characters he really liked doing. He liked doing Sully, because that was him and Jerry. Uh, he liked uh, doing Placido Flamingo, which was a character they created because of the fact that Richard loved opera. So the writers created this character for him. And then it was this great insert that he did, that I got to be a part of, I'll talk about here with it, was when Placido Flamingo finally met Placido Domingo, and they did this great duet on sesame street but before then richard had elvin he didn't know what to do with this thing and he just told the producers and all that he really just wanted to like you know not do it anymore and kevin had just joined the show and had taken over a lot of brian mills characters he took over dr Nobel price he took over clementine who was uh richard's other character which richard enjoyed was forget for jones sure
0: sure
1: so of course kevin but kevin really hadn't his own character that he originated so the, the door opened in the little Muppet green room, and Richard said, "It's like, "Okay, who wants this?" And Kevin just like raised his hand <laughs> very slowly, and Richard said, "Give me a voice. <laughs> you know let's hear it." And then Kevin just did that voice that we all know, uh-huh. and Richard said, "Fine, here," and just threw it over, and Kevin caught it. And As the line goes, the rest is history.
0: Exactly, exactly. Right. But I sat
1: there and I saw the whole thing happen. There you go. <laughs> and Richard just walked away. Kevin had it he just put it on, started playing in front of the mirror, and then that was
0: it. <laughs> terrific, terrific. Now, um, with a career in puppetry, we've got a little bit about your background. Now, just if we could uh, imagine, what if you, know? were a young man today trying to follow your mother's advice of getting a career in puppetry, do you think it would be a little different, a little more difficult, perhaps, in 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 how, how the world has changed since when you got going? You know, there's not that one central figure like Jim Henson was to kind of rally around and look to uh, with all, all those Muppet productions going on with, you know, sort of the height of that stuff around when you got started. And I know you even have a a blog post that's that's very relevant talking about how puppets are unfortunately viewed amongst, you know, people in charge, you know, the higher-ups when it comes to making new puppet productions. Do you think maybe if you were that age now, would maybe this not have, have been, you know, the same kind of path? I think with, like,
1: any age... Just trying to figure out who you are, what you want to do is, you know, a challenge in itself. By today's standards, my wife, Susan, put it very appropriately. She said that it's citrical. Puppets are citrical. That means it just comes around again. They go in and out of fashion, and it just comes around again. When Jim started out, Jim Henson didn't want to, I mean, he didn't loved puppets when he was a kid and decided I'm going to be a puppeteer. That wasn't Jim's goal. Jim's goal was to get into television. Right, right. And at that time the local TV station needed a puppet show and that was Jim's opportunity. He thought, okay, this is my way in to doing television. And so that was his way in. And you know, at that time puppets were you know little kind of a, very similar to Kugler-Fan Ollie, little stiff things. And then Jim's puppets were just very different-looking. And so that was his his way in. The same thing with films. He wanted to get into films, and he knew that with the popularity of The Muppet Show and his reputation, that he wanted to get into to movies. And so the Muppet movie was the first thing. And then The Great Muppet Caper. And then, of course, then he wanted to do something completely different. But it was always an opportunity. So pretty much it's looking for that opportunity. Today, it's actually... A better opportunity because puppets, in a way, are starting to come back. One of the well, a couple of great examples. One, the the Muppets, that's on ABC Prime Time, which is coming back um, in February. Please watch this. In fact, sure. if you yes. if you DVR and watch it within five, uh, three days or on demand in three days, it still counts as ratings. There's, there's no more like Nielsen families that are picked out. They actually can calculate this. So if you go to the, A DVR or On Demand or their website, it still counts. And that does help the ratings. So the Muppets were, you know, they started came back with movies and they have their own primetime show. Star Wars, The Force Awakens just came out. And J.J. Abrams wanted to get back to that same feeling he had when he first saw the original trilogy. And that meant using a lot of practical effects, including puppets, that there was something actually there for the actors to react to.
0: Yeah, it makes a difference. Right.
1: And it was so gratifying for me because I, 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 uh, my wife and I and my son went... First of all, that was great. The fact that my wife and I you know, grew up with Star Wars and now here we are sitting in a movie theater with her son and showing him the brand new Star Wars movie. And it was the first time any of us had seen a Star Wars movie on a screen in so long. And the other gratification was telling him, just what we went through now, you've gotta wait another two years for the next one to come out. <laughs> He's sure. like, What? It's like, yep. <laughs>
0: Well, they're <laughs> but, still they're, – now they're doing trying to get one every year with the Rogue Squadron, uh, Rogue One. Yes. So still, there'll be plenty of Star Wars, just not the uh, the saga, the trilogy. But, right, it, but not – and also not the instant
1: gratification. Like, nope, you can't just, like, exactly. rip this up on YouTube or Netflix. Sure. Up, and sure. you got to wait. So – but it was great because I wanted to sit through the the credits, and I wanted to see the credit. And there was – sure enough, there was the credit Puppeteers. And you saw all these puppeteers, a couple of whom I know because it was shot in England, including uh, – um, Andy Heath, who worked on it, and so it was great to see that again, and just looking at the film, realizing that that's not computer generated, that is an actual puppet, that's an actual costumed character. It was great, and so it's coming back. and the way it was done, it was so seamless, like you didn't notice it's just like it was just there, that was it. it was great. Then I also read recently that um apparently HR puppet stuff. Is supposed to be making a comeback huh. soon. Yes, because <laughs> City Marty Croft company is creating a show and it, Puff and Stuff's going to guest star, and then they're thinking they could probably try and reboot HR Puff and Stuff.
0: That's the big word these days.
1: Reboot, yes. <laughs> and another Croft uh, franchise is Sigmund and the Sea Monsters, which is being talked about being rebooted, as well as, yet again, Land of the Lost. Don't count the movie, it sucked. <laughs> But Land of the Lost could possibly come back as a series. So it's that kind of thinking that is helping puppets come back. It's it's also the nostalgia because of the fact that the Muppets came back first again with the movies because of Jason Siegel, of How I Met Your Mother. Right. And that nostalgia that he felt. Neil Patrick Harris loves puppets and loves the Muppets. And, uh, also has done things with puppets on his YouTube channel. J.J. Abrams, as I was going back to saying, he wanted to recreate that feeling that he got going to see Star Wars, and that was actually using puppets. And you see so many people on TV who use puppets. I'm the resident puppeteer for the HBO series. Last week tonight with John Oliver. Right, and John, we were,
0: we were going to try to get to that. Some right, right. <laughs> and John, John loves
1: this stuff. If you ever watched the show, it's like, it's sort of, a combination of 60 minutes meets Monty Python. And the crazier, the better. And he loves it when we do stuff with like full body costumes, and especially with with puppets. And he just loves that. And so it, and it's that nostalgia feeling because being British, the British have more puppet shows than we do. In fact, see BBC, the children's BBC has what's called mongrels. And it's Dog characters who are, who are puppets, as well as the fact they have their version of Sesame Street called the Furchester, and the Furchester right. is, is Sesame Street meets Faulty Towers.
0: And Louise Gold uh, is is
1: back. Yes, that. Louise Gold is one of the is, is one of the stars of the show. And that transition because kids are aware of Sesame Street in the U.S., so Elmo and Cookie Monster are staying at the hotel, and that's when they meet the the other characters. And it's available, I think it's available now on YouTube. So you can actually watch episodes. And it's a beautiful set. It's gorgeous. There's, there's a couple of behind the scenes photos now on uh, Facebook. And the set is huge and it's great and it's been doing really well. But that's another example of how Sesame International, which I worked on, would tailor Sesame Street for that particular country. And so some countries have a street with street stories like us and then inserts. Those are those in between things that you would see with Ernie and Bird or the Count. And so there are countries that have a street and then other stories. Plaza Sesambo has their own street and their own characters for the street. Gully Gully Zim Zim is the Indian version and they have their own street. But for a country like Ireland, they weren't used to that. They're more used to a magazine show. And a magazine show is very much like 60 Minutes where you have a host and then they present a story. So for them, they have what's called Sesame Tree.
0: I was going to say, so one has a tree. They they yes. some have a
1: park, or you know, they
0: they vary it to the culture that fits it.
1: Yeah, and so with England, they decided to do it very farce, very slapstick, and so having it in a hotel, and so it's a way for the characters and also the parents who grew up with like faulty towers and sort of uh, noises off, which is a British uh, play which is, again, on Broadway. And it's that sort of farce with doors opening and closing and all that. And so that's more of their culture, and so they tailored it for that. And so John came from that culture, having grown up with, with puppets. And so that's why. So it's starting to come back. So they ask you a question. It's like, yes, you can, you can definitely become a puppeteer. I'm never going to tell anybody not to try.
0: Oh, of because, course not. Yeah,
1: because you never know what might happen. They'll... Now, if you ask me, it's like you know, how can I become like a, you know, a muppeteer?
0: Can I become a muppeteer?
1: Chances are that probably might not happen right away.
0: <laughs> right and now, even with, with, with you know, if your dream job is uh, Sesame Street, now they're all different and uh, cut back, so it's probably even even tougher than it was uh, a year ago. Yes, to try to exactly. Get that going.
1: Yeah, so it's like yeah, so those positions aren't as attainable as. Being a puppeteer. And I would just say to people who who want to try, you know, first of all, look in your your area, in your hometown. Is there a theater group that, you know, uses puppets? Is there a puppetry group that actually uses puppets? Um, In Park Slope, Brooklyn, there's uh, Puppet Works, which is a wonderful marionette theater. As well as I mentioned, in New York, there's the Swedish Cottage. And just call them up and say, do you have, you know, an internship? Do you need extra puppeteers and just, just learn. What's great now is the whole advantage of YouTube. With YouTube, you can look up and reference so many different shows and commercials and movies that have puppets in it and just get an idea of what's been done and what could be done. So that's your library reference right there. And then you could even just start playing around. Just start making stuff. Make mistakes. Get messy. Because that's the only way you're going to to learn how to do this. Is Just try and just do it they just keep trying just keep doing it and then there's also the advantage of things like crowdfunding like kickstarter and indiegogo for example for myself i have this idea for a show for kids of autism and special needs it's called the show show and i did a campaign last year to raise the funds to try and get it done i didn't reach it but i got enough money to do other things like the website and create another puppet and get ready for the next campaign which i'm going to do this april And try and do it again to raise enough money to do at least one episode because then that could also become the pilot and also something to show people and how it could work. And so there is that. So, yes, you can become a puppeteer and just see what happens and how it can be done.
0: Great, you 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 actually got ahead of me. That was uh, later on my list of topics. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I, I, I had this whole joke. I was so proud of. I was going to play dumb and say, "Okay, so I hear you're working on the Show Me Show. That's about a small town in Missouri, right? The, the, the show, the show Me State." But uh, but you beat me to it. But uh, just to, to go back a little bit, you like you said, you you got to work on the Wiz and you do John Oliver's show, and uh, you you have all sorts of irons in the fire. Where where does a professional working puppeteer go to find these uh these opportunities? Well it it a lot of times it is
1: from who you know. Like I got John Oliver because my friend is a puppeteer and actress, Stephanie De one of the original cast members of Avenue Q. Oh, and New Prairie Dawn. And the New Prairie Dawn on Sesame Street. And she just contacted me and said, Hey no, are you free this weekend to do a show? Like do some puppeteering on a show? I was like, sure, what is it? And she told me. I was like, yes. And so because she just happened to know it. So a lot of times it's from hearing about it from who you know. With trying to get the opportunities, you can look online, too, for things like variety, uh, backstage, because there are opportunities where it does come up where they need a puppeteer for you know, a theatrical production. This could be like a, a touring company that could... Need a puppet or a local theatrical company that needs a puppet there was in in new jersey there was a field station dinosaurs which was this park dedicated to teaching people about dinosaurs and there was a show that was done and the show featured puppets tyrannosaurus rex puppets that were about 90 pounds they were awesome they were made by a company in australia called earth e-r-t-h and go to the website and you can see and i found out because a friend uh, Told me about it, but I also looked at the link he sent me, and it was a link that was featured in Backstage. So you can look up. You can also look up because it's all about starting out. So you can look up places like Sesame Place in uh, Langhorne, New Jersey. I mean, Pennsylvania, and see if you could be a puppeteer there for the summer or go to walt disney company and if you happen to live in the uh, orlando or los angeles area they might need puppeteers because they they do puppets for their shows especially in walt disney world they have various places where they do puppets there's um, the hollywood studios they have uh actually no there's the animal kingdom that has the finding nemo show which is beautiful it's a great uh, show and the hollywood studios has a uh, disney junior live and those are our puppets so sometimes theme parks will have a need for for puppets and so it's just going online and looking up and just getting to know people because like i said if you contact local theater groups or a puppet company then they would that's your first of contact and then they would know people and then they could recommend you or you could also use them as a recommendation towards getting a job so, so yeah so you just Keep looking. Just keep your keep yourself open to any and all opportunities that come up because it's all a, a learning experience.
0: Very good, very good, good uh, handy advice. Now, uh, getting a little bit back to you and your history, you've kind of seemed to, at points, lean towards the full-body characters. Uh, obviously, Bear from Bear in the Big Blue House is probably your most famous one, but like you said in, in uh, the Big Bird movie, Follow That Bird, you did a few... And I think you, you said you were even Sweetums at a point, right?
1: Uh, yes. Sweetums also has, has uh, had many performers who uh, who have done him. The most famous being Richard Hunt. But I got to be Sweetums for the last TV movie the Muppets did before their big theatrical return. And it was Letters to Santa.
0: Oh, okay.
1: And Sweetums is featured in a song when they're at the, the post office and actually got to... Uh, to, uh, sing a line. and then uh, yeah, he's he's also featured in the movie. So I got to be Sweetums, which is really great because again, it was Richard's character, and I loved Richard, and so it got to do his character was a real honor.
0: So your voice uh, as Sweetums is in there, yes, it is. Oh, I'll have, my, to, I'll have to rewatch my version. that. Yes, my
1: version's in there. Very and nice. So yeah, and I've always liked the walk-around characters because uh, that was one of the things when I first saw Sesame Street, the characters were really interesting looking. But when I first saw Big Bird walk out, actually walk down the street, that was magic to me, that this character could actually walk and talk at the same time. And so I've always liked that. When Bear got to go on uh, Hollywood Squares, normally there's a studio audience, and before they begin taping, they introduce the stars to the audience, and the stars come out one at a time, take a bow, and then walk to the big, huge square, you know, the big, huge thing... And get inside and sit down in their respective square. They asked, Could Bear do that? And I said, Yes. And Bear is the only Muppet who has ever been able to do that because Big Bird was too tall. And of course, Elmo and Kermit and Oscar, they're little hand puppets. So, what they would do is they would have like a screen in front and preset Carol or Steve doing Kermit behind there and then just pull it away. And you would see the character in the square waving. Bear was the only character who could actually walk out and then walk and then get into the square area and then sit down. I was sitting on a box, but I got to sit down. So that was really cool.
0: That's pretty impressive. a uh, One of yeah. a kind kind of experience.
1: Yeah. And plus, I always would say things like on set of Bear and the People House, of just like, you know, I could just walk away right now. <laughs> <laughs> one time, I actually, Bear just like, he was like walking through and he, and I just kept walking and I just like walked off set and they were find the camera. It's like, no,
0: no! <laughs> I just kept walking just to see how far I could get.
1: <laughs> and then I just stopped.
0: So, um, yeah, that's kind of interesting because I would think a lot of times people would want to not do those characters because I know famously Frank Oz, after uh, experiences doing Lachoy uh commercials with the La Dragon, was like, I'm yeah. never doing it again because <laughs> I guess he, he might have originally been Big Bird and that's why they hired Carol because neither uh, him nor Jim was going to do it. But right. uh, it seems like you've really taken a shine to those, those big guys. Yeah, I, I love the big guys. The big guys are fun. Now, but Magellan wasn't a full body, was he? He was a half body. So right. he never got legs. But he
1: was, from the waist up, he still had uh, the practicality of a full body. And so that was also great about Magellan, with that he. he was sort of like uh, a full body. in order to create the illusion of the puppets next to him, I actually was walking on these risers that were interconnected and had these pieces of wood on the edge so I wouldn't step off. So the other puppeteers were standing on the flat floor. And of course, everything is raised up, including me, so that on screen, it looks like the characters are standing right next to Magellan. But actually, I'm on like these platforms. And the same thing with Bear. With Bear and the Big Blue House, you never realize that the entire set was actually raised four feet up off the floor. Right. Four or five feet off the floor. And that there were plugs. Parts of the floor that could be picked. It could be just lifted and taken away. And the puppeteers could just jump in and stand up. And then they would put wood around those edges. So again, I wouldn't go flying inside. So,
0: Sure. I've heard uh, the set of ALF was, was very... Uh you know, dangerous like that because they always have to have those, uh, those little holes for the, the puppeteers to go under to right. match the human actors. Exactly.
1: Yeah, so that these little little tricks that you never know about because you're too busy watching. Oh, look at that. Bear Snippy. Ooh.
0: But uh, on the topics of Bear and Magellan, they both have a pretty similar voice, wouldn't you say? There was, there was a time here in New York City when
1: Bear first came out. They were still running on Nick Jr., half-hour reruns of Eureka's Castle. And at the same time, they were running reruns of this other show I worked on in the early 90s called The Puzzle Place. Oh, and sure. on The Puzzle Place, I played a character named Leon. And when I got the part, because I auditioned for it, I said, thank you, but you know, it, it seems sort of meant to be because you know what Leon spelled backwards is. And there was this silence, and the producer then said, oh my god. And So... It was fun that later on, when there was a script that came up and it mentioned Leon's last name, they gave him my last name. So he became Leon McNeil. And so for the longest time, I would give it to my mom. This is the only grandson you're going to get. <laughs> uh, so with Puzzle Place, we wanted to make sure that we weren't grown people doing little kid voices, which is so irritating. So basically, right. it's the voices for Puzzle Place are our voices, just slightly younger like just a higher range but not deliberately doing a little kid voice sure and so because puzzle place was on pbs pbs markets are not like disney channel or nickelodeon where they have a set schedule your pbs local station will get these shows they will purchase these shows and then they will determine when they want to put it on so puzzle place ran all over the gamut all over the country so it would do great in some markets because it was on during a time when children were actually home to see it And they would do badly at other times when children were still in school. (laughs) So having Puzzle Place on at 12 noon in Boise really isn't great. But having it on at 7.30 in the morning or 4 o'clock in the afternoon is great because kids are still home (laughs) or getting home. So here in New York, for some reason, it was on at 10 o'clock in the morning. And so was Bear. And so was Eureka's Castle. So there was a time for a couple of months where all three of the shows I worked on were on at the exact same time. And so one day, I just turned on the set, and I just flipped the channels back and forth so I could hear my voice like, hi, I'm a bear, hi, I'm a dragon, hi, I'm a little kid, and just going back and forth. Because my voice, if you really listen, it ran the gamut from A to B, because it was just really just the same voice, just with slight inflection. Yeah, sure. (laughs) And that was it. But it was just really funny just seeing, like, hearing the same voice on these three different shows over these three different periods of time, and they are actually on at the same time, Yeah. (laughs)
0: So yeah, people could really de- recognize you of different ages from different things, uh, but still know it's you.
1: Yes, exactly. You, I've do you- been doing um, comic convention appearances, like New York Comic Con, and uh, there's one in DC called Awesome Con, and, uh, and the Northeast Con up in, um, in Massachusetts. And when I do these cons, I promote my book, 10 Minute Puppets, and also my other book, Box. I'm also on panels talking about gym and talking about puppetry. But it, what I've come to do now is I'm also doing autograph pictures. And I have pictures of me with Bear and me with Magellan and me with Le- uh, Le- uh, Leon. And then my other character from a show called Between the Lions. It was me and Lionel. And I, uh, I sell them. I sign them and, and sell them. And it's really funny how many people will, sometimes within a family, will want Bear because their teenage kids remember bear, but the parents will also want Magellan, because as kids, they remember Magellan.
0: (laughs) So sometimes within
1: families, I'm like spanning two generations.
0: Sure. Yeah. So, um, well, I I know we want to wrap things up. Uh, We we covered a a good bunch. I still had several other topics to dive into. Maybe we'll get a part two someday, but... um, I could blather forever so <laughs> we'll my go. resume is most people's
1: childhood memories, so yeah I could just go on and on and on go. but you y'all you have lives out there you want to get back to Oh there, of so. course
0: of course but this is this has been wonderful really I really appreciate it um And you, Wally? Yeah, before we we would do wrap up where where's the Show Me Show at right now and is there any way uh, people can support that and and it's uh you know ongoing development and production? There is now
1: the website the com that you can check in on. There's the Facebook page, The Show Me Show. I've just started a Twitter account for The Show Me Show under the uh, heading at Noel Your Host. And that's for The the Show Me Show. And then in the next coming weeks, I will give you updates about the campaign. The campaign's going to start approximately around April 18th. And it's going to go on and we're going to try and again do it. I'm also contacting friends of mine to write a song because I also ultimately would like to do an album of the show. Terrific. And uh, my friends include uh, Paul Rudolph, who's the uh, musical director for Sesame Street, Peter Dye. Lurie, who's the musical director for, for Bear, this great kids' family duo, Jason and Jacob, who are called the Pop-Ups, mm-hmm. and asked them to do a song. Sarah Durkee and Paul Jacobs, who wrote for Between the Lions, and other and my other friend, uh, Jim Camacho, who was my writing partner for the Bronx Zoo shows that we did for the Abu at the Zoo celebration, as well as the holiday show that i created for miami called mouse king which also has its own facebook page and it's the untold story of the nutcracker and so he was my uh writing partner for that so i have i have really good talented friends and we're going to be creating another video because if you go to my youtube channel my youtube No McNeil or McNeil Entertainment, you'll see the video for the Show Me Show that we did last year with Phineas. Phineas is one of the characters for the show. This year, we're going to do another video at James Voightole Jr., who is one of my best buds, an incredibly talented puppeteer and puppet designer who made Phineas and will be making the characters. He's going to make Phineas' sister Taylor. And so we're going to do a new video featuring Taylor and myself, and that's going to be part of the campaign coming this April.
0: Terrific, terrific. I'm hoping to have him on at some point as well. Huh. Uh, and uh, any other plugs? I mean, we know uh, you also have 10-Minute Puppets, the book, and, and Box for fun with uh, cardboard creations. Anything else uh, to plug before we go? Um, once again, my incredibly talented wife, Susan Elia McNeil, who wrote who's writing
1: the Maggie Hope Mysteries, starting with Mr. Churchill's secretary. And she is, uh, her current book, Mrs. Roosevelt's Confidant, is doing really well. And she's writing the next one. And it's, uh, all available on Amazon.com uh, through, uh, Random House. Um, I'm trying to think. anything else? Uh, no, that's about it. That was a shameless plug.
0: And, uh... <laughs> no, it's all good here. <laughs> Terrific. And, uh, and you got Maddie. Uh, you, you think, uh... I mean, he's, I'm sure he's got a set of talents of his own, but do you think he might ever uh, join either of the family businesses?
1: He's really good. He likes to dabble. So right now we've got he – he's at a great age. Ten is, is a really good age where he, he wants to try different things. And we, we, we try to encourage it as, as much as financially possible. And so encourage him to do things. So he has a friend who he, – he's taken fencing before, so he's going to take it again because – of is doing it, and he's also interested in chess, and so we know this guy who teaches chess, and so he's going to come by and give him a couple of chess lessons. I took this uh, martial art called Hapkido, and so I'm going to take him by the Dojang where I studied, because they offer kid lessons. they also also family lessons where kids and parents can do it together, and so we're going to go by and take a look to see if he'd be interested in that, so we just want to keep it as interesting for him as uh, possible.
0: Sure, getting a little touch of everything. Very good. Yeah. All right. Things, yeah, well, things
1: I never got a chance to as a kid, so.
0: Okay. But, yes. Well, again, thank you so much for all your time. You shared so many wonderful stories. I hope uh, the viewer, uh, viewer, listenership will <laughs> enjoy it. And uh, hope to talk to you again sometime. Thanks so much. Thanks, Wally. Take Cheers, care. Everybody. Bye, Bye No. Bye. Wow, and there you have it. Some really fascinating stories and insight into the world of... Uh, a career in professional puppetry. And, you know, we barely scraped the surface of what I wanted to get into, as I said. But uh, hopefully we'll have Noel back on again and uh, you can check out all that stuff he he plugged. And I'll I'll have links on the website. And uh, hope to have him back on another time. And, and for now, it's back to work, chugging along, trying to get other guests for uh, hopefully more regular releases of episodes. So stay tuned. And uh, otherwise, to check me out, I don't need to really plug myself with all that stuff. You know where to find me if you know... How to Spell My Name, which is in the title of this podcast, you look me up on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. And also I have WallyWackerman.com, which I haven't really told much people about, but it mainly serves the purpose of a hosting site for this podcast. So that's primarily what I have it for right now. But, uh, yeah, it's pretty bare-bones otherwise, but I'll, I'll see what else we can add to it as it goes along. And, yes, yeah, so just check me out in the usual places, and stay tuned for future episodes.